the answer I'm looking for today. Geographically, that may be true, but how do you get to Bethlehem in the context of an Advent sermon is not a geography lesson. It is rather a theological, a faith question. Isaiah would have understood this question very well. John the baptizer did too. And so, of course, does Jesus. Jesus tells us that John is really like Isaiah, the voice crying in the wilderness makes straight the paths of the Lord. Some of you heard me say several times, I'm not a particularly good student in math, and I never really understood physics much, but I remember reading not too long ago that when we're talking about space and time, the shortest distance between two points may not be a straight line. Now, I don't have any idea what that means. I read it, but it doesn't compute to me. But I also know that theologically, the shortest distance between two points may not be a simple straight line. It may be harder than that. Crazy John. I told you, John shows up every single Advent at this time. And if you're going to go to Bethlehem, you've got to walk past John. And maybe it'd be better to say you have to walk through John because that really is the sort of character he is. He's a strange man. You can tell that from the text. He's not wearing a nice camel's hair jacket with sharply creased trousers and a silk tie. No, he's wearing real camel's hair. And it probably stinks. And it's itchy. Not what we would call classic menswear. No, John the baptizer is not who we expect him to be. He eats bugs, for heaven's sakes. But if you want to go to Jerusalem, and you want to go to Bethlehem after that, you'd be wrong if you didn't think you had to pass by John. If you really want to understand Christmas, and that, after all, is what going to Bethlehem is supposed to be about, John is the guy you have to see. And what is John going to say? Well, if you want to get to the real Bethlehem, if you want to get to the child for Christmas, then you ought to repent. See, John understands that we cannot really celebrate Christmas until we acknowledge deep down inside that we actually need this babe born in a manger until we know it, until it is burned into our brains, that this child becomes absolutely mandatory for me, then we'll always be asking the wrong question. You've heard them already this year. The commercials are all over the place. But they usually go something like this. You don't have enough money to celebrate Christmas this year. Come see us and we'll loan you all the money you need. Seen any of those commercials? Well, it sort of sets my teeth on edge. I mean, giving presents and receiving presents is a wonderful part of Christmas. Nobody begrudges that. But the idea that you can't get to Christmas without having enough money to buy stuff is ridiculous. The truth is, Christmas is not about us giving gifts. It's about us receiving the gift from Almighty God, the gift of a Savior. 
This Advent, like all the Advents, we need directions to Bethlehem. And the only way we're going to find them, the only way we're going to find a life that's worth living, and that's what getting to Bethlehem is supposed to be about, is that we come to understand the gift we receive when we get there. And so John comes and John says, okay, you want to get to Bethlehem? Repent. Our problem is, I think, we don't have a clue what this repentance he's asking about is all about. Now, I understand if you grew up in the United States, and especially if you grew up here in the South and in the Bible Belt, you've heard about repentance all your life. You may think you know what it is. Maybe you do. But in my experience, when we mostly hear expressions about repentance, it's somebody wanting you to express your deep remorse over what I'm going to call sins of the flesh. We seem fixated on that in this culture. Now, I know there's a moral dimension to human sexuality, but that's not all there is. The problem is we act like those are the only sins that are out there. And if we can manage those, we'll be fine. Ain't so, is it? I'm certain that Jesus is just as interested in all those other forms of sin too. What about our intolerance? What about our hidden bigotry? What about our participation in a system that does not allow for a living wage for poor folks? That's just a few. If I understand the Scriptures correctly, Jesus is just as concerned about those things as all the things we usually worry about when we hear the word repent. You see, I think too often we think we can create a list of things. And if I've not done the stuff that's on the list, I can say, boy, you've done real good. Right? And if my particular transgressions are not on the list, I can look at you and say all I want to about, repent, you must get things right. But that doesn't ever let me look at me, does it? Sometimes I think we hear repentance and we think, oh, it's just feeling bad over some wrong or maybe some wrong I got caught in. Oftentimes we're made to, to feel as if real repentance is when I end up telling myself what a horrible person I am. No, it's not. God never said you were a horrible person. Repentance, honest to God repentance, is turning to the Christ whose birth we prepare to celebrate and saying sin is not just what I've done or left undone. It is a part of who I am. And I can't fix it by myself. I need you not just Advent. I need you not just Christmas. I need you every day and every moment of every day. But it's more than that, that personal too. It's also changing the effect of the way we live. John says to Pharisees and Sadducees, don't you find it odd that Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John according to Matthew? They're the folks who opposed Jesus in the entire time of his ministry. But he says to them, bear fruit worthy of repentance. What do you think that means? 
It means that it affects the way we interact with each other. It affects our relationships. It affects the way we spend our money and our time. It affects the way we look at the world and all the differences that are out there. We no longer have to see people as threats, but as people created in God's own image. It's supposed to so enrich our lives that the old is gone and the new person is there. The person God always intended for me to be. Most of you have heard of the great Russian writer Tolstoy. Well, he wrote many, many wonderful pieces, but I'm just going to do a brief piece. He tells a story of a man named Martin who is a shoemaker. Martin longs to die. And he is told by the pilgrim that the reason he wants to die is because he's lived his entire life only for his own pleasure. Well, what should I live for, Martin says. For God alone, says the pilgrim. How, Martin says. And the pilgrim says, start by reading the Scriptures. And so Martin read. And as he read, he discovered he was happier and happier. And he did begin to live for God alone. And one night, he hears a voice calling to him as he's going to sleep, Martin, look in the street tomorrow. I'm coming to meet you. So Martin arises early and he prepares patiently to wait for the coming of the Christ. Well, after a while, an old soldier comes by bent and cold and knocks on his door and Martin invites him in and gives him a cup of hot soup. And then a woman comes by with a shivering baby and he takes them in and he feeds them and he gives them something to wrap the baby in and he doesn't have time to watch for the coming. And then there's a third knock and an old woman is there who's been selling apples and he gives her shelter and he waits and he waits but nobody else comes by. And that night, a very disappointed Martin lays down to sleep. And as he's drifting off, and you know where this story's going, he hears the voice again, Martin, do you not know me? Who are you? It is I, says the voice. And the old soldier appears, lo, it is I. And the woman with the baby, no, it is I. And the woman with the apples, lo, it is I. And Martin realizes that he's been visited that day by the personage of Christ in the face of the people around him. See, that's repentance. That's change. That's becoming something you've not been before. It is the second Sunday in Advent. We're 16 days from Bethlehem. We're almost there. Some of you are ready for Christmas to be here. But if you're going to get there, you've heard what John says. John talks about repenting. Not very popular with us, is it? But you know what? Don't talk to me. I didn't write it. Talk to John. John is the one who is saying these things. 
And so John says to me and he says to you, so you want to go to Bethlehem? And we say, well, yeah, we thought we might. It'll be here in two weeks. And John says, yeah, but do you understand what happened? I admit it wasn't what I expected either. I expected a king. I expected somebody who would separate sinners from saints with a sword. But what I got was a baby. He didn't come with a bang. He came with a whimper. Not a force to defeat the kingdom of Herod, but with love to win the hearts of believers. So what you're faced with is what people have always been faced with as they seek to travel to Bethlehem. You have a choice. To which king will you give your loyalty? To the kingdom of the world and Herod? Or to the kingdom of God? And then maybe John says, why do you want to go to Bethlehem? Do you want to go because you think Jesus will bless your world just the way it already is? Or do you want to go because you want this Christ child to change you so you can change the world? If you're alienated from somebody, this is a season of reconciliation. If you've been a little bit self-righteous, now's the time to try to understand other people. If you've pretended that the poor did not really exist or blamed them for their plight, now may be the time to get outside yourself and see the suffering of others. If we have assumed that war and violence is the way of the world, maybe it's now time to meet the Prince of Peace. If you've been putting your trust in a material world, now it's time to put our trust in God. You can't just decide on your own, oh, I'm going to change. Well, you can decide it, but see how far it takes you. It rarely works like that. But we don't have to wait to see the change God brings. We can get busy living out that change now. Because the truth is, the baby we anticipate in 16 days is the Christ who's already with us in the now. So John's here to remind us. You see, there are moral consequences to Christmas too. Just like everything else. It's not make-believe. It's not just trees and tinsel and gifts under it. It's about a Messiah. It's about the one who comes to proclaim the kingdom of God really is at hand. So John says, repent. And maybe now we understand a little better what repentance looks like. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.